Seder. Okay, Parshas Pinchas. We are in Chomish Bamidra. This time I actually remember to read the right book. Um, it's chapter 25, starting from verse 10. Okay? And uh, we touched on it a little bit. We touched on the beginning of Pinchas last week. We're going to go... If you actually look back to the end of last week's Torah portion... Uh, Hmm. No, it's in a chumash. You need a regular chumash from the shelf. Okay, the beginning of chapter 25, which is the end of last week's Torah portion, it's in the end of Balak, um, is that the, the people are, are, are in this place called Shittim, and the men start to have um, immoral relations with the daughters of Moab, and they start doing idol worship, and it's like a whole balagan going on over there. And... Yeah, is everybody settling in? We're, we're, we're here? Chomish Bamidbar, numbers. Oh. If you don't find a single Chomish, you can take a Tanakh. Okay, everybody got something? Okay. Um, and so, so, and they start, and then there ends up being a plague that's happening over there. And the, our Torah portion last week ends, if you follow along with me, from chapter 25, verse 7, where Pinchas the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron HaKoin, gets up and he takes this sword in his, well, like a big spear, not a sword because the sword is smaller, takes a spear and he kills these people for having relations. He kills a, 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 Jewish, a Jewish man who's having relations with a, with a non-Jewish woman and he kills them and the plague stops and that is where last week's Torah portion ends, okay? It starts, and the end of it says that the pe- there were 14,000, 24,000 people who, who died in this plague as a result of this situation. So in Pinchas, with the Jews who were being... A born. Jew, a Jewish man, and a non-Jewish woman, okay? okay? Now, P.S., and I want to like start with this point. I don't know if you remember, but last week, when, when uh, Bilam was leaving Balak, and he clearly was not successful in the cursing situation. He said, I'm going to give you one last bit of advice, take it or leave it, right? That their God hates immorality. Send your girls after their men and you'll see what's going to happen. Like everything we tried to accomplish with the, with the cursing isn't going to happen. That's going to work. Like we say in Israel, fix. It's going to be perfect. Um, and, and it worked. And it worked. Now, this week's Torah portion opens up and what should be the response to somebody publicly killing two people. Should not be so good, right? It should be like, you know, it, it, what, what's going on over here? This is, not, this is not okay. We don't go around killing people. We don't like whatever, right? And in fact, the sages at the time wanted to, wanted to put Pinchas in Chayim. They wanted to like send him out of the camp and like, you can't just do this. Like, this is not okay. Um, back end for a second... When this is all going on, Pinchas goes to Moshe and says, didn't you teach us? I have to tell you the craziest thing. In the line of Hashgacha practice, such a crazy thing happened. So I am currently on my own learning project and I'm learning Mishnayis. I learned a pair of Mishnayis today. Yesterday's Mishnayis that I was learning talks about this law that Pinchas brings up with Moshe. And, he says to, and Pinchas says to Moshe, and he says, didn't you teach us that if somebody has relations with an, an Aramitz, Habal Aramitz, like, if I have relations with an then a kanoi, a zealot, is allowed to kill them. And Moshe's like, that's the law, but we don't, we don't, I'm going to say Paskin in English. We don't judge like that. We don't say that. Like, that's like the law in theory, but you don't, you can't tell somebody 
go be a zealot and do this, right? And, and so Moshe steps back and, and Pinchas steps into the space and he kills him. And, and, and the truth of the matter is all the sages talk about this idea. Pinchas did not expect to walk out of this situation alive. He, because if the person, and this is where our person, our, sorry, our parsha is going to pick up. He actually kills the head of the tribe of Shimon. Right? This is not like, and, and if anybody remembers your biblical history, Shimon is not the calmest of the brothers, right? We know Shimon and Lady, go, they killed us. Like, he's gonna go, you're gonna go kill the leader in front of everybody. You could easily assume that the rest of the mob is gonna take you down, and it didn't matter to him. He, he was so aggrieved on behalf of God, he's like, it doesn't matter what's gonna happen to me. That's not my conversation right now, that's not my concern. And he did what had to happen. Now, our Torah portion actually opens up where Hashem comes in and weighs in on the matter. And he says, Hashem says to Moshe, Pidchas, ben Elazar, ben Aaron HaKoyin, Heshiv et chamati me'al ben Yisrael. He calmed my anger from on the Jewish people when he was zealous on my behalf. And therefore, the Jewish people are not going to be destroyed. And therefore, Lachen Amar, verse 12, I'm going to give him my covenant of peace, the everlasting covenant of peace. By his act, Pinchas here is given the gift of being a Kohen. Okay? Mm-hmm. Which is a weird thing. Because we know about... But he came from Levi. He, he's a son of Aaron. Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aaron HaKohen. Okay? So the first thing this question the sages want to ask, and, and please don't sit quietly, but the first thing... Let me finish my sentence, and then you can interrupt me if you want. Um, uh, the first thing I want to know is, why wasn't Pinchas a Kohen? Why wasn't Pinchas a Kohen? He's a child of Aaron. He's actually a grandson of Aaron. Why is he not a Kohen? That's what he is. What? He just got it now. Now he's getting the, the kahuna. Now he's getting the fact that he and his children afterwards are going to be kohana. Why wasn't he a Kohen? Wasn't Kohen a relatively was. new, like... But he, Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aaron Cohen, he should have been a Cohen. He should have been a Cohen. Who was the who got who became a Cohen? Who was the Kahuna given to? To Aaron and his sons and every, if you remember, and everybody born into the family after. That means Aaron and his sons were anointed as Kohanim, and everybody who was going to be born into that family afterwards was going to be a Cohen. Pinchas is neither here nor there. He was a grandson who was already born, but he was not a son. So he didn't get anointed with the sons. Aaron and his sons were anointed. The children who would be born into the family afterwards were automatically Kohanim. And Pinchas was in, he wasn't in a twilight zone. He was a Levite. He had other stuff that he was doing, and he was, he's, the Kohanim are originally part of the Levite tribe. Yes, yes, no, no, you're following me? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, his father, shouldn't, he, shouldn't it have been like, oh, also your son when he gets older? No, no, no. The, 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 the way the kahuna was given was Aaron and his sons were anointed, and everybody who was born into the family afterwards. Pinchas was already born, but he's not a son. He doesn't get anointed with the sons, so he's kind of in a space. And now let's remember that the Levite space is not like a little schlocky space, you know? It's not like I had no job opportunities. He works in the temple. He has all kinds of stuff that he can do. He wasn't sitting around saying, I can't believe it, it's so unfair. Everybody else is going separately. He wasn't doing this for that, but Hashem was so touched by his, by his zealotry. By his zealotry. Yes, it, it came out in murder. It come, but the zealotry, Hashem, everybody, everybody around him was saying, 
this is crazy. This guy's nuts. Well, maybe they weren't using those words because that's like kind of more, you know, that's more, more our terminology. But the, the sages at the time were like, we need to excommunicate this guy. What kind of, what kind of business? Who cares? I feel in my heart that this is so wrong, I'm going to kill for it. Really? Really? I just want to say, if anybody decides that they're going to be a zealot and kill, because I said you should, if you feel it in your heart, you can go kill another person, I will not testify on your behalf in court. I'm just saying that. Like, this does not hold up in court. This, this, this logic does not hold up in court. Um, and, and Pinchas didn't go in with logic saying, it'll be okay for me. He was in this space of God's name being desecrated and everybody sitting around and doing nothing. That's just not okay. That can't happen. Somebody, somebody do something. Now, and nobody was doing anything, so he became the somebody who did something. He killed two people. He killed, he killed. So the next possible over here. No, no, it's going to continue here. So here, Hashem in verse 13, Hashem says, I'm giving him the, the covenant of the kahuna, blah, blah, blah. And now in verse 14 is where we actually name the people Verse 14, who were named who he killed. And the name of the, the Jewish person who was killed, that he killed, what, uh, so the Midianite, who was with the Midianite, so Zimri Basula, Nasi Beitavot Shimoni, he was, the, he was the prince of the tribe of Shimon, and the woman was Kazbi Basur Rosh Umot Beit Midian. She was a princess. She was a Midianite princess who was sent out to seduce Jewish men so God would get angry. Think about that for a second. And we talk about Bilam, by the way, today, in my Mishnahis today, I talk about the people that don't have a portion in the world to come, and Bilam was listed in one of the people who doesn't have a portion in the, in the world to come. I thought it was, oh, look at the part, the tar parts that we're dealing with. Um, um, Pinchas killed her. Pinchas killed him and her. Right. And, the, and the Gemara and the Medrash has all different kinds of miracles that happened and blah, 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 all kinds of things that happened. Um, which I'm not getting into the discussion right now because I really want to move into something else. I want to say one thing. I could say lots of things about Pinchas, but I want to say one thing specifically. Wait, sorry, what princess was it? Pinchas, huh? She was the princess of Midian. Do we know her name? Kazbi. Kazbi Basur, um, uh, in verse uh, 15. Uh, Kazbi Basur. Rosh so He's listed as one of the, the, the Torah's one of the, the kings of Midian. Um, I want to say something. So the Katzke Rebbe says an interesting thing. Um, you know that we have Torah portions that are sometimes combined and sometimes divided, right? Sometimes this year we have a leap year, so we open up all the divided partios and we, we expand it. Sometimes we need to combine Torah portions. So the portions of Pin, uh, sorry, the portions of Chukas and Balak which are the two preceding parshas, are combined. And the two portions afterwards, Matot and Mase, are often combined. Parenthetically, this year, Matot and Mase are not combined for us in Israel, but they are combined for the diaspora. And now finally, the Torah portions are going to be lined up again. This has been my, my issue for like since Pesach, since we got split. Ah, oh, what's happening? What anyway, so we're going, to be, we're going to be combined again. Pinchas is never, ever, 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 ever combined with another Torah portion. And the Kutzke Rebbe says... Because a zealot is only by themselves. When you say to your group of friends and say, what do you think? Shouldn't we do blah, blah, blah? Like, let's go be zealots, team zealot. No, 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 no. It worked for Pinchas because there was such a deep fire burning within him. 
there was no other option. There was no other option for him. But as soon as he would start to, to get a team together and have a committee and say, what do you think about this? That's not zealotry. That's just, you know, chaos and whatever, however you want to like, you want to like put some kind of label over your bad behavior. That's not zealotry. Uh, Noah, then we'll go on to your den. When are we going to be? Matos Mase. So we're, next week we have separate, and se- we have the next two weeks we're going to be separate, and the diaspora is going to be a separate parsha and then doubled. They're going to have Pinchas next week, and they're going to have Matos and Mase together. Oh, so then after that we're coming back. And Matos and Mase, we're ready together. Right. We'll be having a single parsha, they'll be having a double parsha. All I'm going to say, it's kind of like Nasa and Korah, because he trying to get together a group. Exactly, exactly. Korah, had he personally been so offended, would have been a different conversation. But because he was opening it up, very good point, dear Dad. I think you had a comment. Okay. Anybody else? Okay. Now, Pinchas has the distinction of being one of the very, oh, not the longest, it's not the longest Torah portion, but it's one of the very longest portions, the lowest yeah. Longest Torah portions. <laughs> okay. So this is, this is the story of Pinchas. You could, we could spend years and years on this. We're not going to. We're going to zoom through and we're going to move, try to cover more things. Um, okay. Now, then they get a command to, to take revenge on the Midianites, but it's not going to happen. Now, the next thing that Hashem says, chapter 26, um, we have a census. Now, in this, in, this plague that, in this plague that happened, we lost a lot, a lot of people. And now, as we're coming to the end of the 40 years, just like at the beginning Hashem gave the people to Moshe with a census. Now they're getting transferred over to another. They're going to, they're going to be transferred over. And because it was just this plague, there's going to be a census of how many people there are. And there's going to be a long chat of who's the names of the families and what the numbers were, blah, blah, blah. Um, we're not going to... Skip, skip, skip. No. I'll tell you one interesting thing. What's interesting here, which is, I don't know what it means, like in the in the bigger picture, but it's just something interesting to think about. This is gonna be the third major census that's happening for the Jewish people. When the Jews leave Egypt, we just, we don't hear about an actual census, we just hear, this is the number of people that left Egypt. And we talk, we're talking about men between the ages of 20 and 60 is when we talk about a census. That's who gets counted in the census, we're talking who goes to the army. So when we leave Egypt, we're counted as a sense, we're counted just a number. God did the count, said to Moses, writes in the Torah, 603,550 people left Egypt, that's the number. The f- next census that we're gonna have, which is gonna be about a year later, um, is gonna be divided by tribes. Okay, we're gonna start hearing about how much was Reuven, how much was Shimon, how much was this tribe, how much was that tribe, how much of those tribes together. This census, we're going into father's homes. We know the tribes come down from your father, Okay, Jewish or not comes down through your mother, but your tribe comes down through your father. This is the first time we're listing every single tri- every single family, head of family, who were the children of Reuven, who were the children of, and then we don't have the individual per family number, but we have that the census was done in the context of the family unit. What if I so there was there was a there, there was a there was a situation. We had lots of people who came out of Egypt with the Jewish people who did not fit into a tribe, did not have Jewish fathers. They were not part of this specific census. Um, they also it also becomes relevant when they come to the land of Israel and where they can live. They're not given a portion of the land of Israel. I don't know what that means practically speaking for when Mashiach comes. We have to figure out where everybody's going to be. 
I don't know what the answer is. And I also don't know what, I don't know what happened to them when they were there. Because I remember, if you remember when Jethro and Yisro wanted to go with them, the conversation was, Moshe said, we'll give you a portion in Israel. It was unusual for somebody who was coming from his background to be given a portion. It's a conversation. I don't know what the answer is. Okay? One of the other things, just parenthetically, is that the Torah, the Medrash tells us, the Torah tells us that the, the, when they cross the sea, the Sea of Reeds, it split. And the Medrash tells us that it actually split into 13 paths. 12, one per tribe, and 13, there was a, a path for whoever didn't have a specific tribe. So there was some kind of accommodation. How did it work? One of the first big fights that we have in the desert is what happened to somebody who doesn't, isn't part of a tribe. The, the person who curses God is somebody who has a Jewish mother, doesn't have a Jewish father, wants to connect with the tribe of his mother. They're like, you're not part of our tribe. It doesn't matter. Did you have a question, comments on here? No. Okay. So we're going to have our thing, and, and I think it's very important as we go, as we're now moving into the land of Israel, remember at the end of the 40 years, as we're moving into that space of what does our personal service of God look like, we are not an island. We don't do it, we're not an anonymous, just we, the Jewish people, and it's also not every single person and every single unit counts as vital and important. So you can't just say, well, they'll take care of it. Somebody else will worry about that job. Where do I fit into the picture? The fact that we're being counted by families and your point, Amber, what happens to somebody who doesn't have a family unit, we're not discounting that, but I think that the message of the family unit, guess what? A family unit could start with me. I could be the first person in my family unit. There is, there is that point as well. I don't do this by myself. Judaism is not something we do by yourself. And perhaps, and this is my take on the situation, you do not have to buy my challenge because this is my own thoughts on the subject. I think that when you're in the desert and you're in such a protected environment, your individuality matters less. But as we're going into the land of Israel and we have to sort of divide into territory and into jobs and we have to have a government and we have to have business people and we have to have warriors and we have to have like all the things that we have to have a society, who I am as an individual is very, very important. Not just me in the context of the bigger picture, but and I think that's something that we need to ask ourselves all the time. Like, where is my role in the Jewish future? Not just, oh, the Jewish people are going to blah, 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 but where do I fit into this picture and what is my role and how do I play a part in that? So that was my, that's my, you don't have to take my challenge because it's really based on, I can't give you an exact source for it. It's, it's really my, my, it's kind of, huh? It's kind of based on the Korah because he was upset, that was what he was upset about going in, like, because it was when the Korah came back, right? And that's when he got upset. Nachon, but I'm just saying I don't. This is this is. I'm very careful when I make things up that I tell people. Like, yeah, I could, I could, I could see where I got it from, but I didn't actually see this anything. So when I tell you things that like actually have a real source, then you can argue with me, but I didn't make it up. But when I made it up, you could totally, you could argue with me anyway. But I'm just saying. <laughs> okay, the third aliyah that we have here, we really need to move. The third aliyah is chapter 26, verse. Uh, 52, I always count, like there's certain numbers I always count, you right? Okay. So 52, uh, we have the discussion of the division of the land of Israel. Okay, we are now going to divide up the land of Israel, and the Torah is actually going to describe that there were three ways that the land of Israel is going to be divided. The first thing that's going to happen is that each head of a tribe, we're not looking into all the, into all the words, but basically... 
each head of tribe is going to sit down and they're going to together say how many people are in my tribe, how many people are in your tribe, and they're going to divide up the land logically. Where does everybody fit? We have a lot of people, so people, like, they're going to also divide up the land of Israel according to land that's better for agriculture. If you're, if you're getting desert, you're going to get more land because it's not, you know, before the Jews came back, we made the desert bloom. The desert wasn't so hospitable to, <laughs> to these, right? So depending on where you were going and what you were going to get, how big the people and how good the land was, all of those things were logically considered, and we made a, a map and we divided it. And then they wrote, they put all those pieces of division in one pot, and they put the names of the tribes in another pot, and they went like this. Elazar, who was the high priest, picked one from each pot, and guess what? They were the same. And Medrash also tells us that while they were picking the goril itself, those little pieces of parchment were saying, I belong to this tribe, I belong to this tribe. Okay, now, here's the thing. They all came out the same. So why do we need all this stuff? Why do we need so many ways to divide something? Besides, like, you know, why do we need all these ways to, to interact with the land of Israel? Wouldn't one thing, and, and we're really glad they didn't all mess up, you know, like they did all, each time something else comes out, that would really be, you know, confusing. But everything came out the same. So what does it tell us today? And what it tells us today is that we have many different ways that we have relationships with Torah and with God and with the land of Israel. We have one that's very logical. It makes sense. We figured it out. This amount of people to this kind of trust, like, it makes sense to us. And there are places where, where it makes sense. And that's one way that we relate to Torah. But I hear you were just talking with Gila about Purim. And there's this place of Goral that does not make sense. There's this place of not bound to logic and not bound to reason. And we have a relationship with Torah on that level as well. And there's a place that that is, it, I think that that relationship surprises us more than the logical one. Like the logical thing, like, okay, I, I thought about it. I figured it out. It makes sense to me. Like I could do this because it fits with whatever parameters of logic I want to use. But then when we sometimes just feel a connection to a mitzvah, to a place, to something, not, and you're like, whoa, where did that come from? That's the place of Goro. That's the place of us just being connected. That's not because we thought about it, and not because, but there's an, there is this somehow, this somehow connection that is above logic. And the third thing that's not brought in this particular, in this, this part where it talks about, um, Another place about, about Torah being an inheritance to us, right? Um, it's an inheritance, an inheritance you do nothing to earn except be who you are. Did that make sense in English? It made sense in my head. It was, it was a really nice line in my head. I don't think it came that, right? To inherit something, you just have to be related to the person that's giving, that, that you're inheriting to. Inheriting to? And we have an intrinsic relation to Torah, and it doesn't matter if we are knowledgeable, if we are invested. It doesn't matter any of those pieces. Because we have a Jewish soul, we have a connection to Torah. End of conversation. Now, what you want to do with that and what you want to explore with that and how it's going to resonate with you, that's a different conversation. But we really have many different relationships, both with Torah and with the land of Israel. And, and you actually see it, you know, in the, in the pre-COVID days, we're almost at the place where you just say pre-COVID days, right? But, right? So the pre-COVID days, when we used to have, uh, a lot of times we had birthright students, so 
uh, they would try to set up students with families for a meal. And it was, you know, we were one of the host families that ended up hosting a lot of birthright students. And I heard, not once, not twice, not five times, I can't tell you how many times I heard from students. I'm a very well-traveled person. I love to travel. I go all over the place. I got off the plane in Israel, and I felt the connection. Not that I felt, I, not when I was in Prague, and not when I was in, like, well, not, you know, I'm not talking about the people who never left the United States. I'm not talking about them. People are well-traveled people. Tens of times I heard it from students, but there's some kind of connection. So I, before we get to the end, I just, I want to, I want to give us all a blessing that we, we let ourselves feel our connection and not make it all fit into logic. Yes, don't just throw out your logic. It should be logical and it should fit into all your, the parameters that make sense in your life. But to really to be open, to feel the connection that just is a connection because of who we are. So I want to give all of us a bracha that we, we be open to, to feeling that. Um, okay, chapter 27. We're moving right along. We're like doing so well. <laughs> I'm trying to convince myself we're really doing so well. Chapter 27, we have a very famous story. The daughters of Tzalafchad come to Moshe. The daughters of Tzalafchad, there are five women, and they come to Moshe, and they say to Moshe that our father died in the desert, and we want a portion of the land of Israel. We want to inherit his portion. And they say, and Rashi you know, kind of fleshes out their argument, where they come and they say, if we don't count as children, then our mother should marry somebody else and have more children. Like, if you're not counting us as children, then we, and we don't inherit, and we're going to get this in a second, so don't, throw, don't pelt me with stones just yet. But uh, if we don't count, then let her, what's called, have a, a, a Levite marriage and have another child who then we could, would inherit. But if... But our father died of his, he had no, he was not connected. He, they say in the Torah, he, 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 uh, he, blah, blah, blah. in verse three, they say our father died in the desert. He was not part of the community that, con- that complained against Hashem. He was not part of Korach. And why should, why should our father's name be blotted out from our family? Please give us a portion in the land of the land of Israel, and one of the most amazing things about living in a time when you had Moshe as your leader, Moshe's like, I'll call God. I'll, I'll, I got him on speed dial. Let's hear what God has to say about this, okay? So the daughters of Tzalafcha, there are five daughters. Their names are, their names are, Machla, Noah, Chagla, Milka, Vatirza. It's in verse one in the Pasuk. Okay, a lot of those names are not in much use today. Noah is Tirza. Some of them are kind of like yeah. Noah and Tirza. Noah and Tirza. You don't hear the other one so much. Whatever. Um, I want to say a couple of things. Uh, well, first I'm going to wait. Let's go that. Let's let's turn the page. So the next thing Hashem says to Moshe: Ken They spoke well. They spoke on point. They came. They weren't just being hysterical and emotional. They had logic. They were talking like on point. And yes, they should get a portion in the land of their father. In the, they should get their father. They get to inherit from their father. And then we go into the laws of inheritance. Now, and the things that are not super fun and comfortable in Torah. Um, is the, the discussion of the, law of, in, of the laws of inheritance. Mm-hmm. According to Torah law, daughters don't inherit. And the first, if the firstborn is a son, they're supposed to get a double portion. And 
that's kind of like the, the, the theory, I guess, is that in biblical times, the family unit was so tight that the daughter was either going to be taken care of by her brothers or that she was going to be married and be taken care of by her husband. Um, this is clearly not the, the super reality that we live with today. Um, I want to make a note that there is such a thing as a halachic will. Okay, that means you you do your will however you do your will, and the wording of it is very whatever. It's a, it's important for somebody who makes a will to also have a little section that they do a halachic will where they take a small sum of money, for example, and they divide it according to halacha. That's the first if the firstborn is a son, whatever. It's a it's a halachic will. It's a little bit you add, and then it makes that everything is fine. It has to do with how you word things as well. There's a question between an inheritance and a gift. I have no idea how it works with tax law, but I'm sure all of those things are somehow intertwined. But uh, this is something that across the board, uh, nobody today says that women should not inherit from their family, from, from, their, you know, from their parents. Like that's just not halachically acceptable at all. And you have to, the question of how you, one words such a will is a question not w- if they do or don't inherit. Question here, somebody had a question? Yeah. Yes. This is like the first case like where women, like, women yes, are yes, like yes, this is the first case. Okay. I want to say an interesting thing. This is where we start talking about the inheritance, the division of the land of Israel. This is, we're in the 40th year, okay? We haven't had the conversation of how are we actually going to divide the land? And what's very, very powerful is that somehow these women intuited that, like, that there was, a, there was a wrong here that had to be corrected. Not just, okay, let me back up a second and see if this makes sense. Um, the, way the, the way it worked, uh, the, how, oh my gosh, I'm losing my English. The way it worked, inheriting the land of Israel was like this. We would take the generation going in to the land of Israel, give each of them, it, before you give it to them, but like mentally give each of them a portion and then it would go back to their father. Let me, let me sketch it out. Okay? Okay. A and B leave Egypt. Okay? They're brothers. Brothers. Okay? A has two children. B has three children. Okay? So, coming into the land of Israel now, we're standing at the border. This family whoever, whatever we want to call them, not the Cohen's because the Cohen's didn't inherit, but any other, any other family, okay? They get five portions, but then it gets divided into two. So what happens is, is that they take the five, this doesn't make sense. Does this make sense? No. They take the five portions that they're gonna get. They now go back to the, the two people who left Egypt, and they're gonna divide the five between the two. So each brother is gonna get two and a half. And together, they get these five. So these two are gonna get one and a quarter. Yeah. Yeah? Somebody who's that is better than me. And these three are each gonna get three quarters. Does that make sense? Is is my math right? My math could be wrong, but do you understand the logic of what I just did? (laughs) No? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Okay, no. math, right? So they <laughs> left Egypt of yeah, course to get math. What's my answer? Don't trust me on that. Oh my gosh, don't trust me on that. I think it's fine. Should we make them four? Should I make them four? 
We get the point. We get the point. What? It's good enough. Okay. So basically, is that the people who left Egypt are inheriting from their from their children. It's not only. It's not that each one gets one. They're starting off with one, and then they're dividing it by their parents. The brothers are going to now redivide their number, that amount that they get. The five daughters of Slavchad are over here. They don't have a hook. They're, they don't know that they don't know about the system yet, right? But they understand that somehow their father has to be represented. Like, who's going to know? Like, this is a new law that's just coming down now. That this, how this whole thing. I don't know how much of it already people knew, but they they intuited that we need to somehow he's going to be left out. And so what actually ends up happening is that the law is going to come down that they do inherit. If, oh, if somebody dies and has no sons. The women do inherit, and what happens with the daughters, specifically here, is that Slavchad had Slavchad had brothers. So Slavchad and his brother, I forgot his name, there's children of Chafer. So he ends up getting five portions. His brother gets whatever his brother gets, and then they get divided between the, the brothers back up there. In this particular case, they end up getting five portions. Oh, that then go back up and get divided between the brothers. So they get his portion between the brothers. Mm, so they didn't even have to go to Moshe. No, 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 they did have to go to Moshe because there was no mechanism. There was no, there, there was no, there was no procedure for the women to inherit. And they said, wait a second, that's not okay. That, that's not fair. We want it so badly. And what's very interesting is that there are two times in, in, when, in the Chomish Bamid, while the, while the Jews are in the desert, Two times where people came to Moshe and they said, this isn't fair. What's going down isn't fair. Is there a way that we can do something about it? The, the daughters of Tzlachad are one, and the people were not able to bring the carbon Pesach. The first year that the Jews were bringing the carbon Pesach, they were bringing the Pesach sacrifice out the first year after Egypt. There was a group of people who were carrying the bones of Joseph. They were impure, and they said to Moshe, why should we lose out just because we're busy doing one mitzvah? We want to be able to do this. And then we end up getting the mitzvah of Pesach Sheni. We get the mitzvah of a second chance, essentially a second chance. That There's no such situation where we're so lost and we're so far away and we've messed up so terribly that we can't try to fix it up. And I want to, I want to, I think that for me, the, 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 the I'm losing the word in English. That's what happens if you live in Israel for 30 years. Um, uh, like the, the unifying point here is that there are times that we see something that we could just say, well, you know, that's the law and whatever. Like, what am I going to do about it? I'm going to go fight City Hall? Yeah, yeah. We're going to go fight City Hall. We're going to go to Moshe and we're going to go to God and we're going to say, this isn't good, this isn't fair, this can't be. How can we change it? How can, is there a way that we can, now it's not something like I decide on my own that like, you know, I don't think this is fair, so therefore I'm gonna just do whatever I wanna do. That, that, okay, there's lots of people who do that, I'm not saying, but I'm saying, I'm just saying within the framework of halacha, the question is when something bothers us so much, where do we, shout out and say, this isn't fair and this can't continue like that. And, and Torah gives us precedent that things can change and things do change. And our partial we have it and, and, the, and, and we had it before with, with Pesach Sheni. Um, the other thing which is very interesting 
is that, you know, the daughters of Tzalachan are always brought as the, you know, in the desert when we had all these issues with God. Very often, if you look at the details, it was the, the men who were having issues. The women were always like, we want to go to the land of Israel. We want to, like, we're on the God team. And the men were like, ah, you know. So the, <laughs> so the daughters of Tzalachan are really like that, that um, like a very shining example of in a time where, where women were not very, whatever, I don't know. They weren't part of Huh? Feminism. No, not a feminism. I'm saying like the, the biblical times, the, the, the women had a different place. But to be able to understand how we present our case and how we come and how we line up our, you know, line up our logical ducks and how do we make it work, I think that's one of the things that we get from, from the daughters of Slavchad. An interesting side, not sidebar to the daughters of Slavchad story is that once the, the law came down that they could inherit, the people of their tribe came and complained. And they're like, great, they're going to get married, and the tribe, and then their husbands are going to inherit from them, and our tribe is going to lose, meaning here's our tribal territory divided by the people in the tribe, and they're going to marry somebody else, and we're going to, all, we're going to lose our land. Like, that's really very nice. Thank you, Moshe, right? And so Moshe decreed that for the people, there was a one-time decree for the people going into the land of Israel, they had to marry with it. They weren't married. And they were going to, if they weren't married and they were going to inherit, they had to marry within their tribe. All five daughters of Tzalafchad at this point are not married. If their father died in the desert and he wasn't part of the Korach rebellion, he wasn't part, this is a conversation in the Gemara, what, what was his sin? He died at least 38 years ago. That means of the five daughters, the youngest one was going to be at least 38 years old. And between now and when the Jews enter the land of Israel, they all got married. Just random factoid. If they're married, then the tribe keeps the land. But isn't it kind of incesty? No. <laughs> you know how big a tribe is? 24,000 people. You should not marry your first cousin. People I'm sorry. Did. I know they did, but you, genetically, we know a lot about genetics. We had this conversation. You should not marry your first cousin. I'm sorry. I'm on record as saying that. <laughs> How luckily you can, but genetically, you better check it out really well before you decide to do something like that. Okay? Whatever. Whatever. Okay. The next thing that happens. Ladies, we have 10 minutes. We have, like, so much of the parish we haven't covered. Yalla. Okay. Um, the next thing that happens, Hashem takes Moshe up onto a mountain and says, look at this beautiful land that you are not going into. How nice. Uh, really very harsh. Um, and, and Moshe's first reaction is who's going to take care of the people? His first question is who's taking care of the people? Who's going to lead them? And, um, and he really, really, really would like hit one of his children to take over his position, just like Aaron got to see his son become the high priest. He was hoping that he would, uh, he would you know, so... Over here in chapter 27, verse 15, it's one of the only times you see this verse in the Torah. Moshe el Hashem Lemor. Moshe says to Hashem. We see lots of Hashem says to Moshe. Moshe says to Hashem, Hashem should appoint a judge who can, go, who can relate to all of the people, who can you know, speak to everybody, who will take them to war, who will be, protect them, and da 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 da, physically and spiritually. And, and Hashem answers him in verse 18 Take Yoshua binun. And let him become the leader and stand him in front of Eleazar the coin and give him from your splendor and he's going to be the new leader. So, um, and Moshe does it. Meaning there is a place, I'm sure, that on a human level it has to have been 
hard for Moshe to a not going in. He's kind of like we're talking inheritance, and we've already you know started to capture some of the land. Remember from the, the war last time? They had the, the war with the Emirates, and they got they got some land. And he's like maybe things have changed. So that's what happened. But still, what's going to happen with the Jewish people, and that's going to be very important. Okay. From chapter 28 to the end of, the, of Parshas Pinchas, we have a whole totally different conversation. And we're going to have here the conversation of the sacrifices that are brought for every single holiday. And a little bit about the holidays. We start for, we start for it starts off first with uh, the sacrifice that's brought every day, the, the Tumid sacrifice that's brought twice a day. And then it talks about Shabbos and Rosh Chodesh, and it's going to go into all the different holidays, blah, blah, blah. The reading that we do on a given holiday, the reading for the holiday is taken from Parshas Pinchas. So, uh, I'm pretty sure... Huh? Yeah, well, in the English it's labeled. In the Hebrew it just has all the words. <laughs> okay? Um, so that's kind of, that's what's going on over here. So I want to I highlight one thing over here. We're not going to go through all the, all the holidays and all the sacrifices. We're, I want to talk about one thing. Okay? So the Gemara tells us um, of a story of a bunch of sages who were sitting and they were discussing what is the most important line in the Torah. What's the most important line? If I were to ask you, an important line in the Torah. Yeah, go for it. Okay, we have to love your neighbor as yourself. You're... We got one. Jordan's going to vote for Vihafta. Anybody else want to give us an important line in the Torah? I'll vote for hers. Also, you're also voting for hers. Anybody else want to give us a different line? Something important in the Torah. Anochi Hashem. Anochi Hashem I'm the Lord your God. That's a good one. Anybody? Do we have any votes? No. You're on your own. Anybody else? Give me a line. An important line. Baby. Keep another A. Honoring your mother and father. That's an important one in the Torah. Give me another one. Important one in the Torah. Shabbos, we got a lot of stuff, right? How about Shema Yisrael? That would be a nice one, <laughs> right? Oh yeah, right, that's a good one, right? That's in the Torah, right? Okay, so the Gemara tells us about sages who were sitting around and they were saying, what is the one line that summarizes all of Judaism? What is the one line that sort of like has it all? Right? Yeah. What? Love your neighbor out of yourself. Huh? <laughs> okay, that's going to go there. So, so the first sage says Shema Yisrael. Oh, yeah, right, Shema Yisrael, that's a really good one. And the next sage says, the next sage says, um, he said, V'yahafta. The second sage says, V'yahafta, L'yachatamolcha. And they're like, oh, that's a good one. And then Ben Pazi says, um, in our Parsha, uh, in verse, uh, chapter 28, verse 3, where it says to them, this is the sacrifice you should bring to Hashem, a, a lamb, a year-old lamb, t'mimim shnayim liyom olatamid, esakeves echad, tase baboker, vesakeves hasheni, tase ben arbayim. This was in a different parsha also. They have another parsha also. And, he, and they said that, that one sac- you should bring one sacrifice in the morning and one sacrifice in the afternoon. And they all agreed with him. Now, <laughs> right? You're like, what? <laughs> what? What's up with that, right? And and so we have to. What's what's the most important thing about Judaism is bring a sacrifice in the morning and a sacrifice in the afternoon. Like, what does that? What does that mean? And what is that telling us? Noah. Consistency. 
consistency. Consistency is the most important thing that you could have. There are days that we wake up and we are on top of the moon and we are inspired and we are excited and we are ready to like, woo, God. And then there are some days we want to stay under the covers with Ben and Jerry's. And you know what? On those days, we also need to get up and do what we need to do. And if we can pull it together, if we, only can, if we can only have a relationship with Hashem or with another person, when it's exciting and when it's vibrant and when it's wow, there's, I don't know how anybody knows, but there's a lot of time between those moments. Like with all those highs, there's like a lot of life that happens that isn't so exciting. And that isn't, it's, it's just life. But can we consistently show up for our relationships? Can we do what has to happen even when we're not in the mood of it? That's what Ben Pazi is saying. It doesn't matter. Yes, we're not saying don't have high moments. Don't, have, don't say, oh, date night was great and we had an amazing time and it was awesome. What happened to who took out the garbage in the morning? Who was walking with the kid who was crying and you know, the kid who has fever? Showing up for the daily routine, showing up for, I want to say first and foremost, for ourselves, for ourselves, that even on the days that we don't feel like it, are we showing up for the things that we have chosen to, pe- to count as important in our lives? Are we gonna just throw all the routine out the window because we're not in the mood? Or can we pull it together? I, I like to talk about exercise. I don't actually like to exercise. It's like on my list, I figure one day it's gonna go from my head to like my heart, I'm gonna really do it. If we only ran or exercise when we were really truly in the mood, we wouldn't. We would never do it. <laughs> I would never do it for sure. But I'm just saying, you would never excel in what you're doing if you only did it when you were super excited about it. It's can we show up all the time for ourselves, for the relationships, for the people that we care about, for our relationship with God, for our relationship with Torah. And I'm not saying it has to look like anything. That's your conversation with you between you and God. What does my relationship look like? But for whatever it is that I chose that I'm going to be investing in right now, am I actually doing it all the time? If I decided, not, I'm, not, I'm not pointing at anybody, but if I decided that I'm going to practice reading Hebrew for five minutes every single day, am I actually doing it whether I'm in the mood for it or not? If I'm doing, if I, these are the things that I said I wanted to do, if these are the things that I, in my lucid, excited moments, felt were, were important, can I do it when I'm not excited? And, and when we can really do that, show up all the time, it has ripple effects that surprise us when, 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 we, when, we, uh, when, they, when we least expect it. They, they surprise us. So there's a lot going on in Sparsha. Um, this upcoming Shabbos is officially the 17th day of Tamas. It's officially the beginning of the three weeks of mourning. We don't fast on Shabbos. It's usually a fast day. So we are, this fast is going to be pushed off until Sunday. And one of the things that the Lavatcher used to say that if a fast is pushed off, please God, it should be pushed off. And never, we should, you know, she actually come and we shouldn't have to fast and it should all be just good and beautiful. So I want to give us all a bracha really that we don't have to fast this year, that we should be able to, all our little bits of goodness and kindness should really tip the balance. And we should, in fact, not have this three week 
period of mourning, but it should be transformed into the three weeks of incredible, incredible celebration that we know we're waiting for it to happen and it could actually happen in our lifetime. Like we, we've seen, we've seen how things like, it's not like, oh, it needs more preparation. Like we're done with the preparation. Like it really could, it could really happen. Uh, so please God, that should, that should be our reality that there is no fast, that there is just celebration and joyousness and peace and security for everybody. That's my first bracha to all of us. And my second bracha is that we harness our, in, our inner pinchas. Not to go around killing people. Okay, I'm, like, I'm excited. No, uh, that we harness our inner pinchas to have a spine that tells us when something is right and something is wrong. When he saw something that wasn't right. And it wasn't just like, he didn't. He wasn't a hundred percent able to in, explain it rationally and intellectually, but the place of saying this is, this is something that has to be done. If we could harness that ability to do what has to be, what we've chosen to do and what we want to do, and that we know is the right thing to do, it takes a lot, a lot of courage, and it takes a lot of of not being embarrassed and not worrying about what the other people are going to say and what the other. And if this is something that we really want to do, so I want to give us a bracha that in any little step that we have, that we've chosen to step forward, that we step into that space with courage and with pride and not to be worried about what anybody else is going to say to us. Have an awesome rest of the week, an incredible Shabbos and consistency. We're happy to see you all again Sunday morning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.